You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Brandon Blewett. And I'm Dee Kager. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, February 12th, 2024. In today's feature report, local journalist Dave Askins with the B-Square Bulletin discusses the mention of inciting joy by Ross Gay in a recent city council meeting. More in today's feature report. One of the problems we've had in Bloomington is no real indoor space. We're looking for advocates. We could use triple the number of courts. That's Timber Tucker from the Bloomington Pickleball Club. It's a hot new thing in recreational sports, but all of our local courts are outdoors. The club is lobbying the city to install permanent indoor pickleball courts for year-round play. Hear more later in the show on a new episode of Activate, but first, your daily headlines. On February 7th, at the Bloomington City Council meeting, Council Member Shruti Rana shared why she ran for the position and why she is stepping down. I initially ran for this position because I was just really concerned about my daughter's future, but just um, all of the children in our city and what was happening um, in our state and just worried about rights being taken away and thinking about what are the opportunities where we can build a better future at the local level. Um, So after over the last year and a half, I thought I was active in the community, but um, over the last year and a half, I've gotten to know so many more of you. And basically, I think my life has been going to about two to three community or organization meetings every week um, for the last year and a half. And I've gotten to know so many of you and really see how um, we have neighbors working together to identify problems and work on solutions. And I think we're lucky to have an incredibly vibrant community that is able to do that. Um, I'm also really proud of not only kind of meeting all of these people and being invited to share their experiences, but really being able to connect a lot of groups and people who hadn't been connected to city government to come in and start um, coming to our city council meetings, to come to other meetings, to come to public comment, to really participate and engage in the process, Um, as well as um, just we saw this with turnout. I was so proud of um, the levels of turnout that we got in District 5 especially among people who were registered to vote and sometimes voted in presidential elections, but had rarely participated in municipal elections before. Um, Those are the people that I spent the most time talking to and reaching out to and just really encouraging them to say, I know you're participating when we have presidential elections, but it's so important to be a part of what's happening in the city and the county and participate in our local elections um, as well. And I'm just really proud of not only the turnout levels that we got, but just the incredible Um, response, just meeting people who I just remember one day meeting someone, talking to her about her issues, and she went and um, and what we could do. And she went and got 20 more people to vote that day who were registered but hadn't been planning to vote for municipals and just came out and and were there. And I got to meet this amazing group of people. Um, And so 
I just hope and I know that I think we have a really positive future in our city and we'll have all of you here today, but also people who are working in our city in so many different ways and different capacities to really build the future that we need and deserve here. And I just wanted to say thank you for the honor and privilege of serving. And again, just a huge thank you to all the people I've talked to over the last year and a half, but also um, in the last couple of weeks and even today who have just been so wonderful about expressing their support and their hopes for all the things that we can do in our city. So I will stop there. Next, Capital Improvement Board member Doug Bruce gave an update on the Convention Center expansion project. Bruce shared information on the Convention Center's current usage and why its expansion is necessary. And I thought I'd share with you some of what they presented to us, because again, we we want to see the need for this convention center and we need to see the, the data uh, behind it. Um, and again, we all know uh, 2020 and, and, and the pandemic slowed a lot of things and you know, uh, some of us were very curious on where we are now. So with that, I'll give you a few points of interest here. Uh, the current convention space works best for conferences of 200 or less attendees. 70% of the business is civic typically booking one year in advance. The conferences that we do get tend to use, utilize the entire facility. Um, let's see, Sunday through Thursday economic generators, approximately 30% include overnight stays. The booking window uh, for some of these larger events are one to three years out. And that's key because we're kind of under the gun here uh, to, to get some things moving with this because we can't book anything, we can't talk to anybody about anything, and we really, that's gonna be the big economic generator for this. Um, Bloomington is the second most desirable destination in the state, but we have the smallest full service center. Uh, let's talk about Monroe County uh, Convention Center lost business. In 2010 through 2017, 303 events lost, 64% of those were due to dates not being available, and size limitations. Again, the dates aren't available because we're small and so it, it doesn't, we don't have a lot of room to book multi-groups at the same time. In 22, uh, 2022 to 2023, 137 events lost, 95% were due to dates being available. Again, this is showing that the convention business is picking back up. 5% of those were due to size limitations. Since the year 2000, Visit Bloomington has submitted more than 600 proposals to host groups in Monroe County. And more than 100 of them chose other locations due to lack of meeting space and or hotel room uh, and space availability. The expansion estimated economic impact, the average business traveler spends $214 a day, which they say uh, here is conservative, so 40,000 new annual visitors a day at 8.5 million, economic estimated impact is 13 to $18 million annually. Bruce continued outlining the Capital Improvement Board's task forces work moving forward. And then finally, kind of the last part here, uh, we're now working with the architects. And we've re we're reviewing timelines, uh, square foot costs for construction, land availability and working with the RDC, RDC on that, of course, for potential sites. And then we're reviewing, and that's why we needed uh, the importance of getting Jeff Underwood involved uh, 
because we're looking at projected bonding and costs so we can gain a better perspective on the current costs and issues and the size of the facility and um, um, again, dependent upon bonding and uh, projected costs or projected revenue from the uh, food and beverage tax. So that kind of brings you, we've only had four meetings, so that kind of brings you up to speed on what we've done and kind of where we're going. Council member Matt Flaherty asked if the board had any idea yet if they would need more funding than the food and beverage tax revenue or if that would be sufficient. Bruce responded that this time they think the revenue from the food and beverage tax will be sustainable. I was curious if at this point you have any idea about whether um, the CIB would recommend or be requesting additional capital investment outside what the food and beverage tax can support, or if it's really too early to say about anything like that. Well, I'll tell you this. So we haven't had a thorough discussion on that, but our directive, and I'm sure I speaking again for the board, would be that we're not, we would not seek any other uh, funding for this outside of the food and beverage tax. There may be an opportunity for, let's say, uh, uh, a naming you know, so there may be some uh, ways for profit to to look at some namings. We either, you know, look at the current convention center now. We have some rooms that are dedicated. Uh, those would obviously be something that would be taken up with the the county and the city before we went down that road. But I I would say that the board would see no. You know, we're we're going to put together a budget that meets that works with the revenue from the food and beverage tax and the approximately eighteen million dollars that we have now currently and we won't exceed that. Council member Kate Rosenberger asked where the convention center gets most of its visitors from. Bruce responded, the majority are from Indiana. When we talk about coming to Bloomington for the use of the convention center, where, where do we say they're coming from? Uh, I'm trying to, where, oh, where do we say the, the, the guests are coming from the, the yeah like is it are they dry are they all driving is it regional is is it sort of like from indiana is it the midwest are people flying in i mean what i guess who are they so so that's one of the bullet points i didn't bring up but uh the average we average 460 events a year 80 percent of the events are repeat events 20 percent are new of course 90% of the groups originated in Indiana. Rosenberger followed up and asked if the expansion aims to reach people from out of the state. Bruce said that they haven't discussed that yet, but that if the space is larger, it could open the doors for more national groups. Rosenberger suggested that if the number of out-of-town guests does increase, that the Capital Improvement Board consider purchasing a shuttle to drive groups of people from the airport. So like I would love for the CIB to to just you know consider a sh some sort of shuttle from the airport because I I find it just like with climate change and everything like so many people driving their own vehicles to Bloomington for conventions is like gone. Thank you. Council member Isaac Asser asked if the board had discussed how the convention center is used when there are no ongoing conventions. Has there been much discussion um, as of yet about how this space is used when it's not being used for large, small, and medium-sized conferences? Um, 
maybe, you know, again, in four meetings, we've tried to get a lot done. So we haven't really got, gotten to the, 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 those phases, but I would say that, that we've had some comments from the public, uh, that we've duly noted. Uh, one person mentioned, uh, just making sure that the design of the building connects people at the street level. And of course, that's, you know, I've been a downtown business person and involved in downtown and my parents owned a business. So, so that's a priority for me too. Uh, but we've had one discussion that, you know, what would happen if a pandemic is, you know, happens again and do, do we need to think about other uses that could happen if we, if we needed it? And, and of course, these are just questions that, that came from the public that we've kept, you know, recorded. And as we get to that phase where we're actually, you know, we have an architect under contract where we're starting the design discussions again, those will come up. But you can be rest assured those will be those kind of uses, those kind of thoughts will be addressed. Council member Dave Rolo also asked about the other uses of the center and noted that when it was created, it was intended to also be used as a civic center. Bruce responded that the board has not discussed that yet. To follow up on council member um, Asari's question, um, when we were presented this, it was a convention center, civic center. So the proposition was that the space would be available for the public, hopefully at a, at a discount, um, to use for events here. Has this been part of your discussion and or will it be? Uh, I've just noted it, so it will be, but I can't, it, again, we haven't had, we haven't gone that far in depth yet. We're much like I, I would imagine you as a, a, as a new city council, uh, just getting up to speed. We are, you know, uh, trying to get up to speed and make sure that all of our I's uh, are dotted and our T's are crossed. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on February 14th. At the February 7th meeting of the Monroe County Commissioners, the commissioners rejected a motion for the rezoning of Wormsway property from agricultural rural reserve to pre-existing business. The property owner, Martin Haight, requested the property be rezoned to allow future businesses to buy and use the land. In 1997, there's about a dozen properties that were rezoned to pre-existing business uh, within three miles of Worms Way, north and south of it. Some of those properties have, have been sold since then. Uh, Pointer Sheet Metals is now uh, Feral Fisher. Uh, the uh, what I think was called the Lighthouse before is rezoned to, uh, or is now occupied by Wells Landscaping. And so all I'm asking for is to be treated the same as these pre-existing business owners. There, you know, there, there's no reason that my property was not rezoned pre-existing business. It clearly was there in 1997, and yet nothing was done at that time. Some of the properties, and on that page 63, I was, I was going to point out, there's actually properties that are zoned pre-existing business that are vacant land. Uh, the... One property, which is south of the gas station, not shown on that on that picture, but that, there's a 30-acre parcel, 7326 Wayport Road. It's vacant, never had a business on it. It's own pre-existing business. There is a parcel at 6427 North Charlie Taylor Lane, 1.06 acres down near Thompson Furniture. Same thing, it's own pre-existing business, yet it's never had a business on it. Uh, is vacant property. 
you know, my property has a site plan and has 60,000 square foot of commercial building located on it. Uh, and there's just, it doesn't make any sense. In response to Haight's comments, many members of Windsor Private, a neighborhood adjacent to the Worms Way property, expressed their disapproval of rezoning. Um, in the last meeting, in the last uh, planning meeting about the PUD, a member of the commission asked our neighborhood to meet with the owner to come up with a, some acceptable businesses. And that's not up to our neighborhood to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, another planning commission member put the question out there, what do we have to do to get this property sold for the owner? And that's, that's inappropriate for a board member to say that. Uh, it's, not up the, it's not up to the county to find a way for the owner to sell at a high price. It's up to the county to protect residents' rights and property values. And so we saw the value of Worms Way as being reduced to 530000 for tax purposes. I did a check on Windsor Private. I added up all the houses in the neighbourhood. Its approximately value is $23.9 million, which is a lot of tax dollars. Um, these are not three-bedroom, two-bath tract homes that their attorney, Mr Cummins, said in the last meeting. Okay, these are luxury homes in the estate neighbourhood. Um, the, the planning commission members and the, and the commissioners need to forget about trying to make things easier to sell the property for the owner and remember the tax base of the surrounding neighbourhoods. Any incompatible businesses will lower our property values. Mr Carmen and the owner talk about fairness. He's had 20 years, 25 years to do this rezone, and he's never done it until now when he doesn't have any money coming in anymore. He's made tons of money over these years. So... The last meeting, the last planning meeting, had a nice speech from the owner basically blaming our neighbourhood and the county for previous decisions made 25 years ago. Okay, It's not our fault, it's not the county's fault that this property is inappropriate for the zone. He needs to reduce his price and do something else. Um, and, you know, this is a residential, agricultural and rural area, not business and industrial. There are some businesses around, but they're... They're not disruptive, okay? Um, Mr. Carmen calls us whiny and irrational. He said whiny in the last meeting. Today he calls us irrational. Okay, we're not irrational. We're just trying to protect our families and our homes. So um, this latest attempt is inappropriate, and I'm requesting that you please deny this rezone request. Thank you. Local real estate agent Julie Booz, a resident of Windsor Private, has shown the property twice for hate. Both times the sale failed due to hate advertising the property improperly. Mr. Hyatt has never uh, had a a real estate agent try to sell the property. He's advertised it as industrial property, which it never has been. So that's the people who come to him to try to buy it. So over the years, he has not had any offers on it. And it has to do with the way that he's advertising it. You can't advertise it for something that it's not and expect someone to come in and pay the amount of money that he has for it. He needs to price his property for what it is and what it's zoned, and he would have sold it years ago. I would have liked to have sold it. I would have, I would have loved to have helped him sell that property. The other thing is, is to say that, you know, Windsor Private doesn't want anybody there. Well, that's not true. We have supported it. I know I supported his company. I bought all my mulch and plants from there. I think everybody in the neighborhood did. We had, you know, worked out a deal with him. We helped him get his zoning. We helped um, provide people to come and do his service so that he could grow his business. And he did. He grew it well. And we were all supportive of that. And we always have been. But this is our neighborhood. 
and high intensity is, I mean, that is not what we want because what he wants to do is go right back to his advertising, which as it's circled, industrial. He wants to sell it as an industrial property because he can get more money for it. And that is the bottom line. It just has to do, as far as he's concerned, he only cares about what he can get for that business. And he wants the highest amount possible. Another Windsor private homeowner, Mike Hofstadler, shared concerns about the impact of rezoning on property values in the neighborhood. There were some bad business decisions made, and now we all have to suffer. And so he's not, because when you change this to industrial use, you're not just changing his, you're changing all of ours. We're going to lose the agricultural reserve zoning that we have, we bought there for those reasons. We're going to lose that and, and it'll be gone forever. There's no going back. So I just, I just hope that the commission can understand that best use doesn't always mean most profitable use. And, and while I'm sympathetic to people who have, you know, business involvements, this happens all the time where people make business decisions and, and it doesn't count for them. You know, he made a decision to sell the business and keep the buildings. He knew the zoning. He was the one who got, got the zoning put in place. So he knew the limitations of that land. And, you know, and land's only valued at what it can be used for. And you know, there are lots of things you can do with ag rural reserve zone property. It just why, why make us suffer? Commissioner Julie Thomas responded saying that the residents of Windsor Private bought their properties with a neighboring garden supply store and that rezoning that land to allow industrial business would impede upon the residents. I think there is a real concern about losing that buffer zone. I think there is a real concern about having a business inserted here which is not compatible with the existing neighborhood. And I always focus on the people who live in the area first when a rezone petition comes before us because it is their livelihood, their way of life that will be impacted the most. Um, and, and for that reason, I'm going to vote no on this petition. All three commissioners voted no on the motion to rezone Wormsway property. The Monroe County commissioners will meet again on February 14th. In today's feature report, local journalist Dave Askins with the B-Square Bulletin discusses the mention of inciting joy by Ross Gay in a recent city council meeting. We turn to Dave Askins for more. The B-Square Bulletin sends out an emailed morning bulletin every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can sign up for the morning bulletin by visiting bsquarebulletin.com and clicking on the tab labeled subscribe. Here's an item from a recent installment. Photo finish recommended by your city clerk. Inciting joy. Every Friday, I record one of the morning bulletin items for broadcast on WFHB. Today's photo finish featuring Bloomington's elected city clerk, Nicole Bolden, is the item I'm recording at WFHB Studios right at this very moment. Photos are, of course, generally a poor choice for radio, but not in this case. That's because when Bolden took the public mic last Wednesday to address city council members at their meeting, 
Here's how she introduced herself. Quote, For those who may be watching and are visually impaired or blind, I'm a brown-skinned black woman with my hair pulled back in a ponytail and a black jacket. She was wearing her black jacket over a t-shirt that featured reddish cursive writing that read, I am black, layered over four lines of block letters that spelled out history in all caps. It is not often that Bolden will take the public mic to address the city council members during one of their meetings. Last Wednesday, she gave council members an update on progress towards erasing a backlog of meeting minutes. She also gave an update on the number of parking ticket appeals, which her office handles. I will try to report on those topics separately. But on Wednesday, Bolden also took the chance to tick through the City of Bloomington's Black History Month events. She gave her own personal picks for a movie to watch, a podcast to listen to, and a book to read as part of learning some Black history. The book she recommended was Inciting Joy by Ross Gay. Here's three places you can get your hands on a copy of Inciting Joy. Morgan Stearns, out on South Auto Mall Road, the Monroe County Public Library, and the Book Corner on the northeast corner of Kirkwood and Walnut across the street from the Trojan Horse. I have verified that the book corner has a copy in the store by looking through the window after the shop was closed. That's the second photo finish image for today, a view through the window of the book corner showing inciting joy on the shelf to the right as you walk in the door. Until next week, this has been Dave Askins with the B-Square Bulletin for WFHB. Pickleball, it's the new hot thing in recreational sports. Switchyard Park has four courts and RCA Park has six, but all of them are outdoors. The Bloomington Pickleball Club says we need some indoor courts for year-round play. And to keep up with rising demand, club member Timber Tucker is our guest this week on a new episode of Activate. Coming your way right now on the WFHB Local News. to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Timber Tucker, member of the Bloomington Pickleball Club. We started the Bloomington Pickleball Club about a year ago. We, we started last January. Uh, the city had heard from so many different disparate groups and we're like, could you come to us with one voice? So we started the club in order to try to do that, and really advocacy was a big part of it. So the two main places that you are used right now, there's Switchyard. There's four courts at Switchyard, and then there are six uh, at RCA Park. A lot of people don't realize this. Pickleball actually started, it's older than I am. It started in 1965. Uh, some guys on vacation were on a badminton court, and they came up with the idea, kind of the basic rules. It's called Pickleball because their dog's name was Pickles. So it's pickleball. It's an interesting nexus of things that have happened. I'm an old rec guy. I came, came out of rec sports at IU. Um, those are where both my degrees are. 
And looking back, I think what happened, there were a couple of things. First of all, we started having aging boomers who were very active and wanted to remain active. A lot of them maybe were tennis players or racquetball players, and it was becoming harder and harder to cover an entire tennis court. And racquetball is very hard on your body. Pickleball can be played at a very high level, but can also be played at a much uh, more sedentary, not sedentary, but you're not having to move around a lot. So kind of the baby boomer generation seems to have kind of got it going. It was starting to get popular, then COVID hit. And I think coming out of COVID, people were looking for ways to socialize. And the, in my opinion, the best part of pickleball is uh, the social aspect of it. It's, it's played on a, on a smaller court, a bad mid-sized court. You can get two pickleball courts pretty much on a tennis court. And so you're playing closer together. Also, it's a compressed sport. And what I mean by that is if I go out and play a really good tennis player, nobody's gonna have any fun. But if I go out and play a really good pickleball player, we can still enjoy each other on the court. And we have a great time. And that's my favorite part of it is the socialness. And you rotate it. The games go quickly, so you rotate in and out. So you're sitting on the sideline waiting for your next game and talking to a new friend. And it's just, and it's across the board. It's not just the older adults. I'm coaching at IU now, and we play in national tournaments. And kids from all over the country have gotten to be friends just because of it. One of the problems we've had in Bloomington is no real indoor space. We've played in gyms, but pickleball players don't often don't want to play on gym floors. It's a little bit different game. And so uh, a, a friend of mine has these very nice rollout courts that he's letting us borrow. And we put six courts in at the warehouse and it's a club. It's Crimson Pickle, crimson-pickle.com. And it's a for-profit, but we actually are able to support the warehouse, which is a wonderful nonprofit that, that works with all kinds of people and provides free space and free access for all kinds of things. And so it's just been a really wonderful opportunity to bring that indoors. We could use triple the number of courts. What we're looking for advocates, people that, that have different experience levels, um, but also we just want people that want to come out and play. The norm is the rec player that wants to go out and hit around a few times a week, learn the game, and that's where most of our members come from. We need people who are good at advocacy. We need people who are good at programming. We need people who are good at just spreading the word and uh, lots of opportunities right now. So the best way to find out more about the club is our website, which is bloomingtonpickleballclub.com. Very simple, name of the group. So again, it's bloomingtonpickleballclub.com. You can find more about what we do. You can find some of the leadership. You know, if you're interested in volunteering or learning more, that would be where I would start. Thanks for listening. I'm Timber Tucker from the Bloomington Pickleball Club and Paddle Up.